Um, so you might, have, you might have seen one of those memes that have been floating around the last week or so. Uh, that the meme where it says, I got one up here. Uh, it'll be up here right away where it says, when you realize 2022 is pronounced 2022. And everyone's like, wow! Right? Because who doesn't want to go back to 2020? Crickets. <laughs> It's, it, it, it loses, oh, there we go, see? Now that, it, it makes it so much more worth it when you see the picture, right? Is that Carlos? No way. No. <laughs> I didn't know that Matthew McConaughey is like your doppelganger. Maybe he is. So, <laughs> anyways, we need, we need to laugh a little bit as we head into this year, right? Because I think that, that we... I think the general feeling as we enter into this new year it, with significant challenges is, is that it does hold significant challenges. But, but I also, I want to submit this morning that it also holds significant opportunities for us. Um, and, and I think, you know, this morning could kind of be almost like part two of last week's message. Um, it's not, but, but it, you know, it's sort of a follow-up, if you will, almost to last week. Um, and, and I want to I frame this morning for us around another question, a, a question as we head into 2022. And uh, the intent being that, that we approach this year, as we come into this year, that we approach it as an opportunity, actually, when it comes to our spiritual health, where we're at, and our relationship with Jesus. And I, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know how many of you approach the new year like that, like that you, as you enter into a new year, that it's this time to assess kind of where am I at with the Lord? What do I want the Lord to do in me and through me this next year? Or how many of us just sort of see it as another month being flipped on the calendar? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I want to suggest this morning that it, there's great benefit in responding to specific times and specific um, situations with intention to assess our spiritual condition and to consider how can I invite God to work in me in this time. And, and as it relates to 2022, not 2022, uh, I, I think there's a question before us, and, and that is, how can we diligently persevere in 2022? And the question came to me, I was, I was reading through 1 Timothy 4, and, and that question kind of popped up for me. And the context of that chapter is, is the Apostle Paul, he's writing to Timothy. He's a younger leader who had served alongside Paul, sort of was, was arm in arm with him in ministry and had learned from him. And now Timothy was leading churches, and Paul is writing. He writes First and Second Timothy as letters to him as a young leader, sort of uh, leading him in the faith. And it's, this, it's a chapter within this, the first letter it, that, that certainly applies to leadership, but not only to leadership, to the exclusion of, of the others. And I think sometimes we can read some of these chapters in, in Timothy and go, oh, well, that's just for leaders. It is, but it's also for all of us as followers of Jesus. From, from you know, within the framework of following Jesus... We are all called to be ministers of the gospel, are we not? Yes. Right? Ephesians 4 says that. We are, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel in the spheres that God has planted us. And so, 
and to be grow, we're, we're called to be growing and maturing in the life of Jesus and maturity and all that. And so, 1 Timothy 4 provides a standard for leadership, for sure, but the contents of the chapter certainly applies to every follower of Jesus as worthy of pursuing, I would say is worthy of implementing in our lives. And, and at the end of the chapter, so Paul writes this, this chapter to Timothy that we're going we're gonna to get into some of it this morning. And at the end of the chapter, it speaks of diligence and perseverance in these matters. And, that's, and Paul specifically goes there and, and it provides a framework for us I would suggest to approach this new year that has as much uncertainty as ever as we enter into it. And so now, having said that, and we'll get into this, but what, what is the, the question would be, what is the context of this perseverance that, that is spoken of here or written? And, and I would say that you could sum it up by saying that it is a focus on faithfulness to Jesus, on being faithful to him. And so, how can we diligently persevere in 2022? How can we remain focused on being faithful to Jesus in the midst of these days? And so that's the, that's the question that I want to look at this morning. Why don't we, uh, before we get into this, why don't, we, why don't we pray? Jesus, I want to, I want to thank you uh, this morning that you are with us. I want to thank you that, you're, that we have your word. I want to thank you that your word speaks life and truth to us. Thank you that it sets the, the direction for our lives, that it sets the course for us, that it tells us how to live and, and how to be in relationship with you. Jesus, we want to, everything that you have for us, everything that you have purposed for us this morning, we want to receive that. We want to have hearts that are open. We want to have minds that are engaged. And so, Jesus, we're asking that you would help us in that, where, where we need um, to see more of you, would you help us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how, do we, how can we diligently persevere in 2022? First uh, thing that I want to point to is commit yourself to training. And I want to read 1 Timothy 4, 8 to 10. Um, to highlight this. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Um, I don't have it on the screen this morning, but you can just listen if you don't. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. He says to Timothy, he says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Uh, just, a, just a note if you're like wondering, because theologians have, have wrestled with this for a long time. Why is it written in such a way that, that it says there that, um, that Jesus is the savior for all people and especially for those who believe? It's sort of... What, what we would, what theologians, as they've wrestled that, what we probably have come to land on is saying that that means that um, God, is, God is the Savior for all people, but in order for him to be your Savior, you have to believe. So it's just, sometimes the way that it's written, sometimes in some of our translations, it kind of, you kind of go, well, how, 
What, what do we mean by that? So that's, that's just an aside. So Paul talks here about, about training. I, I'm not sure. Like, I wonder with COVID if the new year, this new year is going to bring about, you know, all the rush to the gyms that we usually see every year. Like, I know in past years, usually that's, you know, you get that, that, that huge push into gyms in January and it fizzles out by what? Like the second week of February, people are like, I didn't, I don't want this. I mean, it, it's a stereotype for a reason, right? Like, like it actually, this happens. If you talk to gyms, it's, it's, it's oddly weird. I don't, I don't know if that'll happen this year with COVID. Um, but, but the point is, I mean, people get psyched up at the beginning of a year to commit um, and, and to, to physical fitness. And then we, we get into it and then we realize that after the motivation and the energy wears off, we're like, this is like hard work. Like, I don't know if I want to sign up for this. Um, but I think the reason, like, that most people, when they do that, the reason that they try to commit to physical fitness, and you kind of use the new year as sort of that new starting point, is because we know that it's good for us. Like, even if, we, even if we don't really like gyms, people know there's value in it. I mean, they, they know that there's something about it. And so, you know, athletes in training, or athletics, I should say, in training, were a big deal, a big part of the Greco-Roman world. I mean, that, that's where the Olympics came from. Um, and and Paul, so Paul uses this really relevant illustration and its value in that world. It was a, it was a big value that was held. Um, as, as the reasoning, he says, look, this, like we see that this is like athletics and training, it holds value. And, and he uses it and he says, but look at like training for godliness has so much more value than even, even this. It has, and he says it has value for all things. So like where physical training has value for, for, you know, a few things in our lives is godliness has value for all of it. And he says, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. I mean, he's making the point, like, physical fitness is great, but it's just about this life. It's nothing beyond that. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, this saying, and it's very interesting how he says, he says, this saying deserves full acceptance. And I I think this illustration can be helpful for us as well today. Because what does it mean to commit to exercise when it comes to godliness. What does that mean? The word here for godliness or godly uh, appears 15 times in the New Testament. It appears nine of those 15 references are in 1 Timothy alone, which I find, so it's, it's just, it's all throughout this letter to Timothy, Paul's focusing on this. And I, I almost wonder, like, was Timothy himself into sports? Like, maybe he was really into sports or athletics, and so Paul is focusing on this for him, because it's a relevant example. But it's, it's a word that means reverence for God. It could be understood as moving from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. It, it, it's where now God is the fulcrum point of our life, meaning the thing on which everything turns. God is at the center. And I, I think that's helpful for us in the West, because we all... Every single person in the West has a center point, right? Whether it's career, whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's sports, whether it's money, whatever it is, there's just a list. Everyone has a center point. 
that directs and their lives and it's the hinge point for their life. Not, not that they're all bad things either, right? But they are center points for people. And, and Jesus in the West, I think, can sometimes feel like more of a hobby. Like, it's a hobby we like, but Jesus is a hobby. He's just kind of something we do here and there when we feel like it. But it's not the center point of our lives. And that's what these verses are getting at. The pursuit of God-centeredness is this thing where our life orbits around this. Everything is directed by this. And to pursue this, Paul says here, is a commitment to training. And so this correlation to physical exercise is good because similarly, it takes a plan to train yourself for godliness. It doesn't just happen. There's, so, you know, we can cut, this is where that correlation to physical exercise can be helpful for us in that, you know, when you, when you set out for a, with a plan for physical exercise, there's this thing about having a routine, you need a schedule, you need a goal, it takes initiative, it takes drive, it takes commitment. Would you agree? Yeah. I, if you don't have those things for physical exercise or fitness, you're just not going to have longevity. It'll, it'll fall quickly. It'll fizzle out by mid-February. So what, when we talk about this commitment to godliness and this training, what, what are we talking about? And I, and I would suggest that what this is pointing at when you look at kind of the whole picture of, the, of Scripture and the New Testament is, and, and, the, and also and the history of the church, and how the church, the history of the church has understood this is spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, or habits, if you will, however you want to call it. A, a way of life that fosters godliness. And so, starting in the time of the New Testament, and then after, you know, the early church, um, after that, for about three centuries or so, the church was thriving, like thriving for the first three centuries. It was, you could say that the early church in the midst of the Roman culture was on fire. It was, it was like, yeah, there was issues. Of course, there was problems. We read about in the New Testament. But the church as a whole was advancing. It was seeing growth. People were being transformed. I mean, it was, it was like everything that we preach about and want, that was happening in the early church for about the first three centuries or so. They were very countercultural in the midst of a very secular empire. And, but what happened then is that life with Jesus became more and more intriguing and was growing in the culture. People were seeing what was happening in the church. They were seeing the effect on people's lives and more and more people were being added. And it culminates in church history with Constantine naming, and, and I think there was, obviously there was political stuff involved, but he named Christianity the, the religion of the Roman Empire and made everyone basically culturally Christian. And there's a whole bunch of stuff around that. It seemed, at first it seemed like a great triumph for Christianity. Like look at, can you, like, can you imagine that? For the first three centuries when you look at the early church, when you read the New Testament, three centuries later, it's now the main religion of the Roman Empire. So seemed amazing, but what happened is it diluted the church. It really diluted it. 
And we see this, we actually, we see this pattern throughout church history. When the church aligns itself with worldly power, the life of the church becomes diluted. You see in the U.S., Christian nationalism right now rising, it's diluting the church. When the church is most, and this is the truth, when the church is most powerless, it becomes the most powerful in, in the history of the church. We, why? Because we become salt and light. And so what happened is during this time, then a few of the people began to identify with this whole idea of Jesus going into the wilderness and facing down the temptations of the day for a truer life, for a truer relationship with Jesus. They saw the, dilution, the, the Christianity being diluted in the Roman Empire and like, we want something authentic with relationship with Jesus. And so they, they basically resisted what the church had given into and how they had compromised in the Roman Empire. And they, they, there was this desire to stay faithful in this age of compromise. And so this is, that movement is about what became known as the desert fathers and mothers, which then led into the monastic movement, which we know of, and has given incredible, incredible gifts to the church to this day. So I mention all that in that brief history because today, in a hyper-secular culture that we find ourselves immersed in, and it is a hyper-secular culture that we are living in, the way of Jesus can similarly become diluted in our day. And, and questions that are being asked, and I, you know, probably should be asked, stuff like, how do we face down the idols of our day? How, how do we embrace this practice? How do we embrace godliness in the midst of our culture without retreating? How, how do we become... like? Because we, we're not called to necessarily retreat into monasteries, right? We're called to live in the midst of this culture. So how do, how do we be, become intentionally formed to the way of Jesus? How do we stay faithful to him? How, how do we make disciples and not just converts? How do we invite people to be apprentices of Jesus and to follow him? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk more about this as we get into this time of prayer and fasting that begins as a church. Um, I want to talk, a little, I'll dig down a little bit more into that. But spiritual practices are essential and have been embraced as such by the church for centuries. They are essential to pursue life in Christ. But, but this is the thing too, right? Spiritual practices, habits, disciplines, whatever you call them, they're not the end. They're a means to the end. The goal is to take on the mind of Christ. It's to become more like Jesus. You can, spiritual practices are the floor, if you will. They're, they're the baseline for us as followers of Jesus. And, and following, following the way of Jesus is something you do. It's, it's active. Following is not complacent. It's an active intention to follow. And so, now, I, this is where I think this can come up and go, well, well so are, is this all about doing? Well, Jesus wouldn't have a practice with intentional doing. Neither would the Apostle Paul. Certainly James wouldn't in the New Testament, right? This idea that like, 
well, we just have to receive this free gift of grace and we don't earn our salvation. That's, that's all we're talking about. We're not talking about a merit-based system that earns our salvation. That's, that's different. That's, that's, I think that's a message that has permeated the church in these days that we don't need to do anything to receive salvation. And it, it's gone on to, we don't actually need to do anything actively to follow Jesus. But we do. So this isn't about earning, right? This isn't about that we are earning something through this. This is about the pursuit of Jesus that comes through intentional practices that keep us centered on God. Because I, I know I need disciplines to be formed into the image of Jesus over time. Like I need disciplines in my life to keep me from going off. Because the thing is, you won't feel like it at times. You will wake up, you could wake up tomorrow and you're like, I don't feel like doing any of this. I don't feel like it. And we need these things. This is why we need this, to keep us centered on Jesus. And, okay, now, well, saying all this, this picture of physical training is helpful in, in reminding us that our spiritual fitness, if you will, is of even greater importance. Amen. But you don't, we don't approach this in the same manner. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, when you commit to physical fitness or to a workout plan, I know sometimes I do this, where it's like this mentally, it's like, I'm not going to like this. This is going to hurt. But uh, I'm, I'm going to do it because I, I want the results. And so I'm just going to push myself through this because I got to do this. But like, you don't really like it. Have you, any of you ever do that like with physical stuff? Or like, where you're like, I, I really don't want to do this. And I'm having to mentally get myself over this hurdle to do it. That's not what this is when it comes to pursuing God. Because I, I recognize there's lots of different reactions, right? That when you even talk about physical training and fitness, there's lots of different reactions within people. Some people love it, like love it. Others, like me, not so much. Like, I am not one of those people that enjoy working out. I, no, I don't. I, I, once I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of, like, this is kind of enjoyable. But, like, not really. Like, I'm not, like, sitting there going, man, I love this. No. No, I, like, you know why I do it? Maybe some of you can, like, identify this. I do it out of necessity. Because, like, like, I'm getting a dad bod, and I've got to stop that, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but I got to stop the progression of that, which is going to happen. <laughs> That's why I'm starting. No, I'm getting off point here. Pursuing godliness is not like that. I want to suggest that it's more like putting down an anchor in your life. It's, it's actually like if you're on a boat and you put down the anchor so that you don't drift. This, this is about resting and abiding in the presence of Jesus. It's not like having to struggle through a workout just because I got to be godly. It's not that. But it, like, I mean, all joking aside, we can look at it like that sometimes, right? Like I don't really want to do this, but I'm being told I have to do this. If, if you're on a boat 
you don't necessarily actually know that there's an anchor down there, right? If you've dropped an anchor, you don't actually necessarily know. Or, you know, I've, I, I've experienced this, and many of you who like to fish, you've experienced this. When, you, when you're fishing, you will just begin to drift. You don't even realize it. You, you've be, and then it's like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh. And if you've got an anchor down, all of a sudden, you feel the tug of that anchor, and you're like, oh, we were drifting. And that anchor is now keeping us secure. Spiritual practices keep you from drifting. Or they, may, or, they, or they can actually make you aware that you are drifting and that I need to get back. So when we talk about these, these practices or these disciplines or these habits, whatever kind of word you want to put on it, we're talking about doing them, right? So we, we do prayer. We do scripture. We do Sabbath. We do silence and solitude. We do community. And, and community even is implied in these verses where Paul writes to them. He actually says, there he says, if you point the, these things out to the brothers and sisters. So he's talking about community. Um, just before this, he's talking about the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. He says that's the church. So that's just preceding what he writes here. So community is implied all over the New Testament. And it's a spiritual discipline to gather. Which, you know, in some ways right now, having to be more intentional, I'm not saying this is, this is enjoyable, but having to be intentional with signing up, with saying, I'm going to commit to being here, is a spiritual practice. It's a discipline, actually. So, this has been, like, I've just kind of, this has been a bit of a wider focus here for the, this point, right? I'm just kind of talking a wider focus of these spiritual disciplines. Um, as we enter into prayer and fasting, I'm going to, we're going to dig into these, some of these a little bit more over the next few weeks, and we'll look at them closer. But these, these are essential answers to how we will diligently persevere in 2022. How will you diligently persevere? Spiritual habits will keep you persevering. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this, it's to our own detriment if we disregard these things as we go into this year. It is to our huge detriment if we say, ah, it's not really that important. Okay, second, how do we diligently persevere? We set an example to follow. So I want to read verses 11 to 13 here. Paul says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. So, we gather here that Timothy was a younger leader. Regardless of age, it says here that we are lit to live our lives in a manner that others want to follow. That, that we are to set an example that models godliness and devotion to Jesus. And, and the thing is right now, like it is way too easy and encouraged in our culture to get incensed and all wrapped up in the noise of everything that's going on. Like self-control, gentleness, patience, peace, it's of no consequence when we feel the need to respond to something or someone. It just goes out the window now. Like, self-control? What are you talking about? I have to be gentle? No way. Forget that. 
Like if we feel justified or if we feel right or we feel called to something, we excuse a lot of our own behavior, right? We, we, we have these inherently built-in excuses. Well, you know, and we, and we justify it. But to operate and to respond out of a posture led by the fruit of the Spirit or one that embraces the humility of Jesus. What are the riches that we bring into our lives, that we invite into our lives as a result of that, of being led in that manner? What kind of peace will we experience when we stop and measure our responses rather than allowing our emotions in the moment to dictate our responses? What, what if we considered of how our response is forming us or deforming us in the image of Jesus? Like, what if we said, what, what if we were asking ourselves, what are the long-term consequences to me in my forming, in my formation, in the way that I'm responding? What if, what if we paused and considered what we are allowing into our hearts, our souls, our minds by whatever, how we're responding? What if we placed an emphasis this year on setting an example in those five areas of our lives that Paul lists here to Timothy? How, how could that help us diligently persevere in 2022? How could this serve as a catalyst for peace in our lives? And so, what might it look like to set an example when it comes to our speech? Because certainly, it, like, it has to do with how we talk to others, obviously, but it goes on beyond interpersonal dynamics, right? Because, I mean, in an internet online age now, I think we really could say, well, this, this you know, we, some of us now tweet or share or text or post stories as much as we talk. So how do we set an example in all these areas as followers of Jesus? What might it look like when it comes to our conduct or, or maybe another word for that would be behavior? Probably very similar, right, to how the example that we set with our speech, but how does this extend to our behavior to others? Because our, our example here, Paul's saying to Timothy, look, your example is comprehensive. It's, it's, it's covering every part of your life. It's covering your speech. It's covering your conduct. What might it look like to set an example in love? Because within the context of this chapter, it, it rejects this inclination to assert one's own agenda. And it's saying, serve as Jesus. Out of humility and surrender, that's the very basis for love, right? That's, that is faithful to scripture. It's, it's love that is selfless. It's selfless for the sake of others. What about setting an example in faith? What does that look like? I think, I think part of this is, is talking about absolute dependence, reliance, and trust in Jesus, regardless of what comes, that our faith is solidified in him. What does it maybe look like to set an example in purity? I think it has to do with our integrity. I think, I think that's 
part of what Paul's getting at here with Timothy. It has, it's, it's being the same person in private as you are in public. Which, okay, guys, be honest. That is a struggle for every single one of us. Like, that's a nice little thing to say. And my family knows Paul better than anyone. And before you start pointing fingers back at me, we're all in the same boat. Right? We're all there. But Rick Warren, he says this. I, I thought this... He says that our integrity has to do with our wholeness, our authenticity, and uncorrupted motivation, or our pure motives. He says this, he says, we're interested in image, but God is interested in integrity. We're interested in reputation, but God is interested in character. Reputation is what everybody thinks you are. Integrity is what you really are. Reputation is what you are in public. Integrity is what you are when you're all alone with God. So how, how can you grow in this in 2022? I, I would say consider your conduct and your character as essential to your growth, essential to your growth as an apprentice of Jesus. Like, all of us are in this boat. We have to work against compartmentalization in our life. Like, I'm this way around these people, and I'm this way around these people. And we know when we're different. We know. So I would also say immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament, especially as it pertains to character and growth. And you will need, you will need someone in your life who you can talk to in an open and vulnerable way. Someone who's willing to challenge you and who you're willing to receive from. You're, you will need that. If you're going to grow in this, you will absolutely need that person in your life. You might even need to pursue counseling to work through areas in your life. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to say, I need help in this area. I need someone to help me see this in my life so that I can gain perspective. It's extremely healthy, extremely beneficial for growth. Okay, lastly, how can we diligently persevere in 2022? Nourish yourself on the word. Verse 13 here says to devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to preaching and to teaching. Verse 7 speaks of being nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Verse 16 says to watch your life and your doctrine closely. Now again, is, this, is Paul writing this to a leader? Yes, I think this is about leaders have to do that. But again, I think everyone has to be watching their doctrine closely. Do they not? Everyone. So what we believe matters. Listening to good teaching matters. Being nourished in the word matters. This all helps us to persevere amidst these days. And this speaks to both the private and the public commitment to being in Scripture and its teaching. It's both private, but it's also public. It speaks to the importance of thinking through what we believe and how it directs our lives. Like, what do I believe? How is it directing my life? And being committed to Scripture, growing in it as a spiritual discipline, has incredible, incredible potential to transform your life 
and your perspective. Paul, he's reminding Timothy here, he says, you need to be diligent in your commitment to the scriptures. So, the beginning of each year, we've done this for the last couple of years, we, we, um, or maybe even longer than that, but we like to encourage us as a church, encourage people to pick a Bible reading plan that will consistently get you into the Word of God every day, that you'll be in the Word, growing. And so, for those of you, I don't, I don't know how many of us have done it. If you've never done it, I want to warmly challenge you on January 2nd, you've got a whole year now, Commit to reading through the entire Bible this year. If you've never done it, do it. Get a Bible reading plan. It takes about four chapters a day. It is so rich to go through the entire Bible. We've got, we've got Bible reading plans that we, uh, some of you may have seen them. We put some up on our website now um, that, that you can uh, choose from. We also, we, we've developed a plan to take you through a psalm a day. So it's on our website. If you want to read the psalms, it'll take you through one psalm per day. And you will go through the entire book of psalms like two and a half times this year if you do that. Just, just a psalm a day. Um, also say that YouVersion is a great app. Tons of different options to get you into the word. Um, saying that, like, like one of the reasons I would say read the entire Bible this year is reading entire chapters, books, and sections of Scripture rather than just cherry-picking verses in a devotional. Um, really, really helpful for spiritual growth and maturity. Right? It gives you perspective on what God is doing in His Word, allowing God's Word to form you. So I want to I conclude this morning. I want to I um, do it. I want to highlight the beginning of this chapter here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He, Paul begins this section by reminding Timothy of the dangers lurking outside and within the church. He, he, he says to him, he says, deception's gonna be present. People are gonna abandon their faith and the presence of demonic activity is or will be a reality. Like, yeah, he doesn't shy away from it. He says, it, it is a real thing that we are battling. And, it, and it's sobering. Like, it's sobering to read the beginning of this because it's alerting us to the fact that we have an adversary in Satan who is at work on this earth. He is working to distract and deceive us and to move us away as much as he can from life in Jesus. And he's very happy to do it incrementally in our lives and to slowly have us drift. Verse 7, it tells us to have nothing to do with godless myths, delusions, and falsehoods. He says old wives tales. It means delusions and falsehoods. Like don't, don't have, have nothing to do with that. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer, he talks about, he says one of the primary strategies of Satan is the strategy to drive us, and he says society as a whole, away from the life of Jesus and into all manner of ruin by planting deceptive ideas in us. He says that play to disordered, uh, disordered desires within us, which are normalized in a secular society. I, I think that's profound, profound insight into our world right now that he satan plays to this that he gets us into these deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires within us that are normalized in the world around us 
They go, that's, that's fine. That's great. Do it. And part of that strategy is simple. It keeps people distracted. But there's also this more sinister work of playing to disordered desires within us that Satan will exploit to our destruction. And I'm going to touch more on that um, in a coming message. I want to go deeper into that. that but, but the role that spiritual disciplines have to untangle disordered desires within us is profound. And we absolutely need it in our lives. Because we are all vulnerable. Every single one of us is vulnerable. We are all susceptible to spiritual deception. Every single one of us. And so we need practices in our lives that keep us connected and growing in Jesus amidst a chaotic, distracted, and lost world. And so having said all that, I think there's great opportunity though in these days to follow a different way. There is, there is an opportunity to go, we are putting down an anchor as followers of Jesus and this is the way that we're following. Committing ourselves to training, living our lives with a desire to be an example to others, regardless of how young you are, right? Kids, regardless, it doesn't matter. You can be an example to others around you that I am following the way of Jesus and this is how I'm going to live my life. And, and I'm going to be an example. And nourishing ourselves in the word. You know, and there's, inherent, there's two inherent promises here that Paul mentions to Timothy. He says, one, it's your salvation. The promise of your salvation. He mentions it right at the end. And the other promise is preparing ourselves for the life to come. He's, he's, there's a life to come. There's eternity to come. There's an age to come that we prepare ourselves for as followers of Jesus. So I want to encourage us as we get to the end of this, just as Paul encouraged Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give everything of yourself to them. He says to Timothy, he says, give yourself wholly to this. Give everything you have to this. Chart your progress like, how am I doing? Chart your progress this year. Watch your life closely. Persevere. Persevere. What's going to come? We don't know. Persevere. Okay. So I want to give us four questions if you want some application this week to help you in this. First question, where are there opportunities for me to grow in spiritual disciplines in 2022? What do I feel I need to commit to for this year when it comes to these habits? Second question, where will I place an emphasis in setting an example to follow in my speech, behavior, love, faith, and purity this year? Third, how can I be intentional to nourish myself in scripture this year? What actions will I take to make this happen. And fourth, what is one specific area of my character that God is highlighting for growth in 2022? You ever do that? You ever ask God, God, what is one 
Just one, because I can only take that. I can only take one. God, what is one area of my character that you want to touch and grow in 2022? Jen will come up and why don't we, why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you that you don't change, that you are steadfast and immovable. You are the same today as you were yesterday and the same as you will ever be. And Lord, in the midst of a shifting, changing, uncertain culture and time, Father, we are so thankful that you are who you are and you're faithful. God, I pray that you would help us this year Help us to diligently persevere no matter what comes. God, that we would get to the end of this year. Lord, that we would, we would set goals or we would get to the end of this year and we would say, God has done great things in me. God has done good things and I'm closer to Jesus than I was at the start. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd help us because we need you. We cannot do this on our own. We don't even want to try to do this on our own. So Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live and to follow Jesus? I pray this in your name. Amen.